With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ready. Play. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is in the world, wherever you are tuning in from. But I will say this, it's Saturday the 12th of December, and I have watched a lot of Gil Gross's episodes that have gone out on YouTube ever since he did a vlog from the French Open 2019, Gil? Yes. Cool. And there was one occasion where my ears pricked up, but Gil will be surprised by this because I've not forewarned him, and it has nothing to do with tennis. I recall him once suggesting that he had leanings towards Liverpool Football Club. Am I right, Gil? No, you're okay. not exactly correct. I had a, I was gifted a, I, I suppose a scarf, a Liverpool scarf, and I had that in the back of my studio. So that's probably why why you uh, thought that was the yeah. case um but it was really just it was just a gift somebody decided to to give me that scarf okay. and i thought it was a nice enough scarf to put behind me uh, so i picked up on that and i've forgotten all the other tennis analysis over the last four years but i, I got that I even if it was slightly fake news but um <laughs> anyway vanch how are you doing today awesome uh, you know i've i've also followed gil stuff quite a bit and known him for three or four years now so it should be fun to dive right into this Awesome tennis match. And it yeah, is an thank awesome you guys. one indeed. Yeah. Gil, I've, I've got this match, by the way. I unilaterally uh, decided the final seven order. It was done collectively that we we sort of whittled it down. I say collectively, a mixture of, of some of the Talking Tennis community, a few Twitter polls, and finally we got it down to seven ATP matches and also seven WTA. But at that point, I took it on board and became a dictator and just went, right, this is the order we're doing it in. And this is what I think is number one and two, because that's where where I guess any con potential controversy might come in, because I went for this one at number two. And uh, yeah, and therefore you can probably guess which one was at number one. Do you disagree with me, Gil? 
So, no, I, I have it the same way. I do the Monday Match Analysis Awards every year, and I have to pick a match of the year, uh, an ATP match of the year, and th- th- this was not it. Um, I went with probably the one you have at number one, which is the Wimbledon yeah. final. I yeah. got to say, John, just going back and looking at this match and everything that went down, I, I did start to second guess myself just a little bit. I mean, it's over and done with. It's the Wimbledon final. That's the match of the year for Monday match analysis. But uh-huh. uh, in a lot of ways, this was more uh, thrilling and entertaining the match itself, right? Uh, mm-hmm. obviously you give the nod to Wimbledon because it was Wimbledon, you know, it was, it was a major final and that gives it a massive boost. So you can't really argue with that, but this match was very, very, very special in Cincinnati. Vance, you were there, right? I was, yeah, I was, I was there all week and the build up to this match before the final, I mean, you can just imagine the hype that was circulating around the grounds and, um, I've never heard more ooing and eyeing from people in the press room. Than, than I was when I was watching, especially the third set of this match. Um, I think that if we're reading like individual sets, we can talk about this a bit later, but I think that third set has to be the best set all year in terms of just sheer quality, drama, the amount of twists and turns. I mean, every the roller coaster ride that you were on while watching this, and each time you thought a player had the upper hand and had the momentum, it was just taken right out of his hands. And, you know, you just didn't know which way it was going uh, at any point. It wasn't the deciding factor, Gil, but it was a factor that that made me put this at number two, which was also that it could have, and from Alcaraz's camp's perspective, should have been uh, a fairly non-event. In fact, I heard the commentary just now, midway through the second set, and uh, I must quote the commentary, which was more or less the words to this effect, not the match we were hoping for, not the match that it had the potential to be famous last words of course um but we'll get to that juncture shortly but yeah gil it was also that point that just another another reason but the main factor was the wimbledon you know star rating that that put this one at number two but let's get into sort of how they arrived at the final um i mean uh, Djokovic was fairly serene um i didn't think he was playing amazingly well i remember him losing to davidic for sorry beating davidic for kina uh, but David Fakina was a bit lame. And in fact, until that injury, I thought it was nip and tuck, albeit that Novak's prowess was probably always going to win out. Um, I think Taylor Fritz, a real beat down for Taylor. And uh, Svedev was a bit closer, but still, you know, Novak being Novak, hardcore, North America, blah, 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 Cincinnati as well. Um, Carlos, on the other hand, had a pretty bumpy ride uh, to the final. Uh, special moments, pulling rabbits out of hats as, as only he can, uh, dropping sets though left, right and centre, saving a match point, I believe, against Herkatch and one that perhaps Herkatch looks back on and, and perhaps could have won that point. You know, some match points, and we're going to come to one shortly, was sort of just not winnable, but that was a winnable match point for Herkatch. What were your thoughts going into the final, Gil? Did you have Novak as a favourite or, or, or Carlos, or what were you thinking? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, so there was the there were a couple of factors coming in. Novak hadn't played since Wimbledon. <clears throat> um, excuse me. That is a pretty long layoff. So, you know, you thought that maybe you wouldn't get 100% Novak, but then by the time he gets to the final, he has tennis under his belt, and he's looking a lot better than Alcaraz, who, uh, yeah, it just felt like he was on the he was on the back foot a lot. Uh, on his way to the final, he played a lot of really good net rushers, right? Jordan Thompson, good, 
great net rusher. Max Purcell in the quarters, great net rusher, as are, you know, Tommy Paul and Hubert Hercotch. And they were were coming forward and attacking Alcaraz with a lot of success uh, and making him uncomfortable. And it, it felt also like Carlitos was uh, not playing consistently on the forehand. That shot had gone cold on him. Uh, and it was kind of similar to what we saw in Canada. So you look at Canada and then all the matches in Cincinnati and Alcaraz's resume since Wimbledon, it's like, wh- where is an easy win? He's having to struggle each and every match. Now he was showing a lot of impressive qualities mentally, John, just to to continue to win these matches. But uh, undoubtedly, Djokovic was was looking better heading into the final. Um, and then if you look at the conditions, the weather conditions, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you, mm-hmm. you also start to consider, well, Alcaraz is playing all of these three-set matches. Djokovic is winning in straights. It's going to be oppressive conditions on the Sunday. That puts Alcaraz at a disadvantage physically. Okay. Vanch, um, Djokovic draws first blood. Uh, interestingly, because actually I think it's one of those that that historically could get forgotten, forgotten even, because um, you know, we all we think about this having two or three swings, but we assume that the first one is in the favor of um of Carlos, certainly with time. But actually it's it's Novak who draws blood first, um, breaking for four two. Um and then, but fortunately for Carlos, he breaks immediately back. Vanch, were you in the stadium at this point or the press room or were you sort of going between the two? Yeah. Uh, so the vantage point that I had was at the top of the stadium. So, um, okay. you know, so, so it's not a huge stadium. So it, it's it, it's tightly packed. And uh, I would just kind of walk in between inside the press room and then right outside on, on the very top stairs. Uh, but but at this point, the oppressive conditions were very evident. I mean, it was 95, 100 degrees. The players were, were really feeling it on, on the court, especially Novak at this point. The sun just beating down really hard. And uh, yeah, I remember that that game that Djokovic played to broke. He had this really good forehand inside end winner, I believe, to convert the break. And uh, But you, you sort of felt like Alcaraz, you know, was kind of playing like he was all week. Like he was just a little bit just not consistent enough from the back of the court and Djokovic didn't have to do a whole lot to earn that break besides that one forehand inside and winner but at this point you could really see that Djokovic was you could see it on his face like he, he was just really feeling it physically like the, the heat we haven't really seen the heat get to Djokovic in a way you know in quite quite some years I mean it's it's at least the last five or six years it hasn't really been more of it hasn't really stopped him from from winning a lot but but in this occasion you really felt like if Alcaraz can just get right back into this, make this physical, you know, you felt like he was going to have a shot at at, at potentially outlasting Novak in 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 a lot of rallies, and 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 you just felt like, yeah, now this now this set could go either way, and it was it was it was Alcaraz who looked the stronger. The just quickly though on that break, uh, there was a great image of of Carlos. Um, this is the break against Carlos I'm referring to, um, with him just desperately stretching every sinew available to try and get his racket on it. And so often we see that and he gets his racket on it and it comes back with interest. But even Carlos Alcaraz can't get his racket on this one. And it was almost like a a goalkeeper desperately trying to get their hands on the ball and still he couldn't do it. And Novak managed to hit through him on that occasion. But uh, as I highlighted, Carlos breaks back quite quickly. Uh, We then get to four all and then five all. 
Um, I've got a sumptuous volley here in my notes from Novak at four all and juice. So Novak really very quickly after that break is actually hanging on to his serve more often than not. And indeed, Carlos does eventually break at six five. Um, probably no major turning points that really uh, as such. Well, we're going to come to a, a much bigger one midway through the second set, but um. I guess now any sort of pre-match thoughts, Gil, of, of Novak being being the favourite or Novak maybe surviving slightly better in the conditions were being thrown out the window. Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, a lot of talk coming into the match about who was going to hold up better physically, especially because that was the deciding factor in their Roland Garros semifinal earlier in the year. And uh, it, it was Alcaraz malfunctioning physically. Um the the thing is, I guess the the I'd say the talking point after the first set was, look, it doesn't matter how good your fitness is if you have not experienced that kind of heat yet. Um, and again, Novak hadn't played since Wimbledon and it hadn't been that hot uh, in Cincinnati until this day. There's really no preparing for it other than, again, being in it. This is why players train in Florida. This is why uh, this is why a lot of players get a taste of it, you know, in the, in Washington, DC, right. Where it's, it's often really, really hot and steamy. Mm -hmm. And now the body acclimatizes and it, it just seems, you know, to Vanch's point, we know that Novak is in terrific condition. Uh, but it was almost like, well, there's no conditioning for this kind of heat and humidity. And uh, I mean, I see what I wrote in my notes watching live at four two. I said, Novak looked a little sick. In this game, uh, at, after four all, yeah, Djokovic held, but I said this is no Djokovic hanging on by a thread physically, just staying tough. So I was impressed by the fight, but ultimately, yeah, there was just a disparity in in the the ability to withstand the heat and humidity between the two players. And when the first set went to Alcaraz, uh, the question really was, can can Novak turn around his physical state? And Carlos is now in the midst of actually a pretty good run in terms of games. I think he wins nine out of 12 spanning across those two sets because he also gets a break fairly early in the second set. And it still felt like there was a little bit of work to be done yet. But, you know, the finishing line was getting closer and closer and, and none more so than at 4-2. There's also this moment as well around this time, I think, when when we see uh, Novak with the cold towels around his neck and, and, and getting some sort of treatment or some attention at least uh, for his ailments. And it's really, you know really looking a long, long way back for Novak because even if he was miraculously to get back into this set, the conditions at this exact moment, and Vance, you were obviously there, so you'll be able to uh, flesh this one out. You know, would would was it was just looking very difficult for Novak. And in fact, there's even a moment of, at four two love fifteen, uh, or what becomes love fifteen because of an unbelievable lob from Carlos. Uh, and there was two or three sumptuous ones from him, one or two that just went out, but still kind of looked good, even if they didn't quite land in. And you just thought, you know what? His radar's not far off. And there was one unbelievable one. And at 4-2, love 15. And so therefore, you know, two or three points or three points away from a from a double break. I'm just looking at Novak on, on the replays just now and thinking, wow, this looks like a, a beaten Novak Djokovic, someone that we rarely see because even in some of those sort of humbling defeats he's had at Monte Carlo, 
you know, it's sort of, it's okay. There's three months, two months to the French Open and these things happen, especially as, as you switch surfaces at that time of the year. But this was looking on the back of the, the Wimbledon loss as well. It was looking pretty troubling. Vanj, tell us about your thoughts on this moment of the match. And also, we we are going to see some weather conditions change, right? Am I right? Yeah, especially towards the end of the second set. But what I would say is that one all, I mean, Djokovic, this was a very surprising moment for me. He threw in three double faults in that game. And you just don't okay. see that very often. And Carlos had to do very little to get that break, essentially. And at, the, at this point, at 4-2, when Akras hits that lob, and it's love 15 and Djokovic is serving, I'm thinking, how much is Djokovic willing to dig in here? Because the US Open mm-hmm. is right around the corner. You know, it's it's about eight days away. Is he is, is he going to want to give it give it his all in another Masters 1000 final that he's won twice? In Cincinnati before, or is he gonna, you know, is he gonna, is, is Alcaraz gonna lose his focus essentially, and is he gonna play a sloppy game? Because at, at that point, I remember thinking Carlos has got this, but he's gotta, you know, he's gotta, he's gotta stay, stay disciplined and and not get sloppy, and the forehand has to be firing. So, and we found that out at four three when Alcaraz just uh, this was this was the one bad game from him in this match, you know, where he just. I, I believe four four unforced errors in a row in a row. I mean, just kind of just gifted Djokovic a, a second win at this point. And this was around the time when you felt like conditions were starting to change and it was starting to get a little bit more breezy and the temperature maybe dropped from 95 to around 87, 86. And you felt like, okay, the the wind is starting to pick up. It's it's not as hot anymore. And Djokovic looks like he has a second wind. And now this match is going to be a war. And that's what happened. Gil, I spoke to Carlos in Barcelona at a press conference there, and I was particularly intrigued to know what the difference was between April 2023 and April 2022, because I noticed um, a stark contrast in the way he was winning matches in Barcelona in 22 and how he's winning them in 23, sometimes against the same opponents, such as Stefano Tsitsipas, as in he was doing them miraculously three sets, you know, being a double breakup, then it coming back and then blah, blah, blah. And, and it just being a, a battle, but, but also unbelievable Carlos. And he did win that tournament in 2022. So I was thinking to myself in my head, I'm going to ask him, he's going to probably tell me, or I hope he tells me, you know, he's going to say, well, I've worked on my serve and I've done this and I've done that. And I think I'm a better player in all departments or whatever, but he didn't say that. He just said simply this concentration. I, I, I now, when I'm up a break, I, I don't let that one go, if you like, as, as he had done in Barcelona before. And yet, we did just see a little bit in the French Open, I remember, against Stefano Tsitsipas in the third set there, when I think, because he said on his on-court interview, because he let Tsitsipas back into that third set, he ultimately wins it in straight sets, and you know it doesn't really become much of a thing. But when he says on-court that he lost a bit of concentration in the third set, of course, my mind goes back to Barcelona. Was it simply that? in Cincinnati or am I being a bit too simplistic? No, I I think it was that. And, you know, frankly, we can go through a long list of Alcaraz matches uh, from Wimbledon on where I couldn't give him an A in the concentration department, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially if you look at uh, second sets, which, which tended to be a problem for him in most of his losses. Uh, after after Wimbledon, uh, where he lost a lot of second sets, some of them were lopsided even because he did have that lapse usually early in the second set. Yeah, this was a moment where where clearly he kind of let his foot off the gas, and it wasn't 
wasn't just the four three game. It was it really started at two four, where things started to go haywire. And uh, from I can tell you this: from two four to four all, the unforced errors were Alcaraz seven, Djokovic two, mm-hmm. and the other points Djokovic won were service winners. So Novak got back into this match, back into the second set. Two ways, unforced errors by Alcaraz and some service winners. He did not have to win a single point another way. Mm -hmm. So if you're Alcaraz, you have to at least make him earn it. You have to make him come up with something. He didn't here. So it was, it was a really rough patch and, uh, it's something that is, I think, I guess a lot of people have been like, Alcaraz has no weaknesses. Where's the weakness? And you look from a technical standpoint and you can't find one. But this is definitely one area, I'd say, going into next year where Alcaraz, he he shows his age. You know, he shows how he's 20 years old. And it's something that that should get better and will need to get better uh, on on his end. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, I think also maybe uh, reinvigorated by what was going on on the other side of the net. Novak does start to produce some of his best tennis as we head into that second set tie break. However, Novak still has to save a match point, Vanch. What are your memories of that inflection point? Yeah, the match point was well saved by Djokovic. It was a you know, serve plus one uh, forehand inside in and not really much Alcaraz could really do there uh, on the on the on the match point save, but I guess it's the points afterwards that start getting really interesting. Yeah, I mean you're right. The we sometimes I said with her catch in the semifinals and, and and many other match points that have slipped away from players over the years, there were some regrets perhaps. But on this one, there was not much Alcaraz could do. Although I still thought watching it today, I still thought Novak had to still sort of you know maybe heart in the mouth stuff for his fans, but his heart wasn't in his mouth as he just sort of coolly put it away. Um, and then, of course, we get a set point, or actually, think, do we get one or two set points for for um, Novak? We certainly get at least one because obviously he ends up winning it nine seven, I believe, that tie break. Um, what are your thoughts at this point, Gil? Well, at six all, he he served and volleyed behind his second serve, okay, which is yeah. uh, it's not a it's not a play I generally think is is effective. And Alcaraz hit this great dipping low return, and Djokovic comes up with a, an amazing uh, backhand volley cross court. Uh, the first volley was really the exceptional volley, set up a second volley that he was able to finish. So I thought that was a big turning point. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know even what to make of Novak's decision making in that moment, but he saved it with his volley skills, which we also saw at the US Open in the final against Medvedev a couple weeks later. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, at 7-all, at Novak came up with a, a great return. 
um, that that had some heat on it. I don't think Alcaraz should have missed the forehand, uh, but he made an unforced error, slightly rushed on the plus one forehand. That set up the the set point, and and then Djokovic um, plays a, a really really steady point on this set point where Alcaraz really threw a lot of great variety his way, did a lot of things trying to attack Novak's backhand variation of heights. And uh, in in classic Novak fashion, he just didn't give up really anything short, anything attackable, and ultimately got the the miss when Alcaraz tried to attack with his backhand and, and he dumped it in the net. Exactly. I have here Novak, sorry, Carlos Blinks first is my my note at that point, as, as he often does, but often with great success. But on this occasion, he puts that uh, backhand, I think it was, into the net. And um, now uh, it's advantage Djokovic almost, Vanch. Is it all, or am I getting carried away at, at this point? It's just I mean, I guess I probably thought advantage Djokovic a few times in his matches with Alcaraz, whether they were in Madrid or, or, or Wimbledon. And actually, Alcaraz was bigger and stronger than I probably underestimate the Spaniard. And we're going to come to some other moments in the match shortly. Um, but yeah, with those temperatures dropping, Djokovic seems reinvigorated. And of course, at this point, Vanch, we have an slightly unusual image for a guy who's still relatively new to the tour, but we've been watching him now for the best part of three years, I think it is, uh, on the tour. And we're now seeing Carlos really angry at this end of the second set. I think he's punching something nearby that's sort of plastic-ish, um, but I'm worried for him. And in fact, I think he did do a bit of damage to his hand at this point. And I think that may have uh, required treatment, but he was clearly very annoyed with how that second set panned out. Yeah, it was a combination of things. It was, of course, the poor game that he played at, at that poor stretch that Gilm referenced from 2 4 to 5 4, and also just knowing that, you know, he, this match was his and he, he he let it slip in that one moment. And, and you know, he starts hitting his hand against, yeah, against the side Something. of his chair. And yeah, yeah, he needs to get treatment on it because, yeah, at this point, he was just betting out. Uh, and it, it was probably. In some ways, not the not the most healthiest way to do it, but at the same time, he let out quite a lot of steam, and you know, maybe maybe it also energized him a little bit uh, for what was going to be a really fantastic third set. But actually, going back to the tiebreak uh, at six all, uh, and and also the set point against Medvedev later, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, Alcaraz and Medvedev should have gone down the line on the pass, and Djokovic yeah. always anticipates these things really really well, and he just sort of stays mm -hmm. home and. And he, you know, most of his opponents are, are kind of playing a little bit of a mind game there at this point. Like, you know, should I go cross? Should I go line? And the line seems easy and open, but it's, but but they often think like, oh, Djokovic is going to cover line, so I might as well just go go cross and try to try to trick him. And Djokovic just always so ready and anticipates that backhand volley in the open court both times. And uh, it's we've seen this so many times. Yeah, he's actually what what people don't real some people don't realize is is Novak's movement in both of those moments is is actually the surprising the surprising movement. So he's catching those he he's catching his opponent by surprise by not covering the down the line. So, you know, everybody who looks at that and thinks it's obvious to go line there, that they're not they're just not quite understanding what they're seeing where Novak can go to cover the open court. He's expected to, and he doesn't. That's the surprising wrinkle, and that's why he gets set up with that easy 
backhand volley. So well said, Bench. By the way, ridiculous. Um, Alcaraz almost even got to the open volley. Like he got his racket on it and yeah, you know, basically yeah. fell on the floor. I was like, that I just could not believe it. Why would you even bother chasing that down? But wow. Like he's yeah. Uh, and then and then also also the seven all point. I thought Djokovic did a really good job of hanging in because that whole time, at least three or four times, I thought Alcaraz had the advantage because he was hitting really heavy with his forehand and he was he was having a lot of success at this match at times, uh hitting his forehand down the line really big and forcing Djokovic to kind of hit his back end above his shoulder because this court is like still pretty lively and bouncy, kind of like when they played in Madrid. So he was having a lot of, uh, you know, his forehand was doing a lot of damage in the in the heaviness category, but I felt like Djokovic was still able to get a pretty decent amount of width on his cross-court backhands and just make Alcaraz hit backhands all day. And, you know, on the set point, finally, Alcaraz was the first to blink and he tried to go down the line. And that, that had to have been really frustrating because that really sucked the soul out of him in some way, you know. Having to play, I think, was a 23-shot rally or something like that. And, yeah, I remember thinking at the time, hmm, it's going to be tough to recover from something like that, just mentally. Yeah, but but also it signaled that Novak's fitness was was back. Like, that yeah. takes that takes great shot tolerance um, in order to stay in a rally like that. And I think going into the third set, like, it was very clear that the storyline that prevailed for the first set and a half, you know, starting from 4-2 in the first set of, Djokovic not being being right physically, that was going to be a thing of the past. There was no concern heading into the third about Djokovic's legs anymore. Gil, I thought it was very interesting during that interview with John Wertheim uh, last week when Novak said uh, sometimes he has a quick look up at the screen to see what's going on with his opponent as he's sitting down, like in the in the changeovers. So I'm wondering what Novak, because I think did he stay on the court? I don't know if he left the court when 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 Carlos was was punching the chair or whatever. But um, either way, I'm pretty sure that Novak would have would have been aware of of what was going on. I wonder whether what he thought of his opponents frustrations because actually i don't a lot of people who play novak if they're sort of much further down the the tennis food chain if you like probably don't have unbelievable expectations so when the when the match gets away from them they probably don't get as stressed as this not not all players are like this but um but i'm wondering what what novak was making of of his opponents potential frailties at, at, at this point because i thought that was an interesting comment he made to john uh last week yeah it, it... It was interesting. I'm not sure if Novak saw it. Um, I, I, I didn't blame. Now, I, I do think Vance is right. You got to be careful with the right hand uh, when you're letting out your frustration. Yeah. I mean, that is your your instrument uh, of of necessity. So you, you do have to be careful. But I, I couldn't blame Alcaraz. I mean, it was it was bad. He should have been in the locker room. Actually, he should have been in the trophy presentation. I should say. So. I, I didn't blame him for being, you know, really frustrated. Another thing that Novak said in the 60 Minutes interview is uh, is that it's okay to to feel emotion and it's okay to uh, get negative as long as you let it pass, as long as you reset and move on. Yeah. Um, Novak kind of rejected the idea that mental strength is staying positive. Uh, so mm-hmm. I thought that was very insightful as well. Um I guess to to start the third set, this is a a point in the match where I guess memories can can become less vivid because of what happened later on in the third set. But it's the the level seemed to be pretty high from Alcaraz. The trouble was Djokovic was right there with him. 
I was worried, though, actually, Gil. So, in fact, you know, after this outburst, if you want to call it that, from from Carlos, I thought, listen, Carlos needs to get a couple of holds in, get a couple of holds to serve. And if you're a Carlos fan and they offer you 2-2 or 3-3 at this point, probably take it because this could easily be a 6-1 set and, and it's done. But he got to 3-all. And so having got to 3-all, although it wasn't easy, and as you said, Gil, the, the, the quality from both players was now very high. So Carlos hadn't been as distracted by by the by the physical uh, release, if you like, or if anything, that did manage to get him back on track because those first six games weren't easy. But um, he did get to 3-all. And once at 3-all, I thought, okay, now we're much closer to 50-50 than I thought 20 minutes prior when I was pretty sure now that Novak was going to go on and win the match. Um, however, at three all, uh, my tennis analysis, um, we could call it Friday afternoon uh, analysis rather than Monday match analysis because it, sure. was not, it was pretty lame because it got to three all. And in fact, uh, Novak is the one who ends up, does end up breaking Vanch. I mean, at this point now, at 4-3, um, and then, of course, we get the match points. I think Novak gets two at 3-5. On the Carlos serve, it's the second one, of course, that we probably have most vivid memories of. Uh, the first one, actually, I can't remember right now. Uh, but the second one is kind of insane because, actually, Carlos is, from from I say from memory, I have just seen it, but I think Carlos is kind of up in that rally, but somehow loses that advantage and then gets so far behind in the rally with, with two shots from Novak. One, I think, is forcing him out wide on the backhand side where he's struggling to get it. Novak does exactly what he has to do with the volley, but Carlos manages to not only chase it down, produce just a sensational winner. And probably this is the point, this exact point, maybe it's like, Oh, we're watching something pretty special now. This is now got to a point. So even if Novak ends up winning that game or Novak ends up serving it out, we're still now elevating this match. And I think that that match point save, it then went from being a very good match to being one of the top two of the year at the very least, Vanch. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This is when the match really ignited and just kind of highlight reel after highlight reel. Uh, like just... There were so many times in this match uh, from this point on where you're like, just, you could, just, you were at a loss of words, really. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, even the first match point to come up with this, with the servant volley there, I thought it was pretty bold, pulled it uh -huh. off. And then, and then the second one, yeah, I mean, just ridiculous because when he goes for that forehand drop shot, you're thinking, and when Djokovic gets there, you're thinking, oh, oh, this is, this is trouble because Djokovic got there very quickly. It was super explosive. You know, hits a perfect approach, cross court. It's deep, and you know, even the volley against most players that would have been enough. That forehand yeah. angle volley that he hits, but perhaps he didn't cut it just fine enough, taking into account Alcaraz's speed. But you can't blame him at all because it's still a fantastic volley, and Alcaraz somehow gets there and finds the space down the line. I just, you could not, uh, you, you just could not believe what you were seeing at that moment. Uh, and what you, and you figured if Alcaraz could just get out of this game, you know, Djokovic was going to have to answer real questions because at this point. He was also, I think, one for seven or one for six or something like that on on breakpoints. So he's he, yes. he was he was getting chances, but he wasn't yeah. his usual self in terms of converting them. So at this point, you're thinking, yeah, I mean, he still has to serve this match out if he if Alcaraz does come up with some magic here, you know, this could carry him in the next game. And so, pretty key yeah. points. 
it, it just became a match where it was hard to count the number of twists and turns because you were at different points positive that one player or the other player was going to win the match and you kept on being yeah. wrong about it. And that's a really fun, that's a really fun way for a tennis match to play out. So yeah, it's, it's special, you know, Alcaraz stuff that, you know, with the the scrambling and the athleticism and the shot making in combination. When, and when you see that stuff to save match point, you just know that you just know that you're looking at something that is going to be enjoyed by millions and millions and millions of people all around the world. Uh, and, and that was pretty cool to have in the moment, especially because, you know, these matches, and it's true for all of these Djokovic Alcaraz matches, they are hyped up beforehand as well. You, you know that everybody's watching. And when they deliver in this way, as they did, you know, at least twice this year, uh, it, it's really, really special. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yes. And deliver it certainly did. And as I say, I think this is the moment when it just sort of went into a, another stratosphere. And I, I guess I still thought Novak would serve it out, but he didn't, Vanch. Um uh, what are your thoughts on the the game at five four as as it would have been? Do you think do you think Novak might have been affected at all by what he was seeing on the other side of the net? Do you think do you think Novak serves that out against ninety nine percent of the tour? But actually, be, he's maybe even just even the great Novak might have been slightly rattled by just seeing. I mean, he said in his he said in his speech afterwards, and he was definitely talking about the match point save. Novak said in the yeah. match point in the speech afterwards, you guys just don't give up, you know? And I think he even said it, he might've said it was on match point. He's like, you could have just done that and we could have all gone home 45 minutes ago. Um, but yeah. um, I just, well, I don't know. And, we, and Novak, only, only he probably could tell us if if those match point saves and especially that incredible one had any kind of reasoning behind him then not serving it out. Yeah, for sure. And this was also a big thing because I remember I remember thinking at that time, like Djokovic also got really tight when he was serving out a semifinal against Zverev. And he, he was okay, yeah. You know, he should have gone gone off the court and won that like seven, six, six, four, but then he ended up double faulting a couple of times. And actually, because it was the first time really since Wimbledon that tournament that he sort of, you know, was up against it in terms of quality players in the later rounds. And so that but but at this point it was more more just about like yeah, just the tension in the arm and serving out another big title against a big rival who at this point, Alcaraz still, you know, he has the Wimbledon final, like, one. So it's, you know, Djokovic still has some work here to do to 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 get over this mentally, but also just physically, you know, Alcaraz was right there with him in this game. and But but I, but actually, it did really surprise me on one of the match points when he double faulted. I wasn't expecting it at that point, but, you know, that, that was just another sign that he was really feeling the nerves and he is human in, in some of these... Uh, moments, even though he's been in this situation over and over, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the match point, the match point save by Alcaraz, the forehand down the line winner. At that point, I mean, that's the place just exploded. At that point, I remember, I remember just like I was sitting next to to Miney watching this match from the Guardian, and 
Okay, I mean, we were both just, okay. Yeah, we were both just so in awe of what we were seeing. We weren't even processing it quite at this point. Like you'd have to go back and rewatch the highlights to really <laughs> to really understand because everything was just happening so fast at that at that point and you're just yeah, trying to wrap your head around all the amazing athleticism. I think it was about two or three in the morning uh, in Germany um, on German time, but I was wide awake. But the mind was frazzled. My mind yeah. was frazzled. More, more in terms of just you know, uh, predictions have to go out the window at this point because I think I'd, I'd had about five different changes of mind, and they'd all uh, had to be reversed at one point or another. So I think I'd given up on that at five all and was very much enjoying what I was seeing. I actually don't have many clear memories of, of the two holds of serve that then meant us to go to a tie break. Uh, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on, on I those. I remember the five all game was pretty epic. Uh, yeah, okay. I, yeah, I think there were like at least three. There's a break point. There are, well, there are two, I believe. No, oh, okay. there were three. There were yeah. three. Because and, the and... only one I really remember is the serve and volley on the third one. Okay. Because, it's a Novak serve and volley. Or, um, uh, or Carlos. Alcaraz. Alcaraz. Sorry, yeah. Carlos yeah, serving yeah, a five all. Because Alcaraz in this match was also having a lot of success with his kick serve, just like he was at Madrid and at points in this rivalry. That's one. That's one area that I remember thinking he he definitely has an edge uh, when it comes to yeah, not not being punished as much on serve that you would think on a court like this, because it's so quick. But it actually does really get up high on Djokovic's backhand a lot of times, and then Alcaraz usually has an easier plus one, either a forehand inside in or a you know a serve and volley like he did here and also throughout the match at various points. So I remember thinking like Djokovic probably has to contend with this long term in the in the rivalry and it'll be interesting to see how he how he does this moving forward because it seems like a tactic that works pretty well for Alcaraz. I'm curious to hear what you think, Gil. Yeah, if the if the court is lively enough and and this one this one was and you're absolutely right. This was a this was another match, um, you know, and, and it, in Madrid, it was almost silly. It was like every time Alcaraz hit a kick wide on the ad side, yeah. he won the point like it was automatic. And uh, this match wasn't quite that extreme, but it was it, it was certainly a high rate of success. And in this game, um, on the second break point, he hits a service winner, kick wide. On the third break point, he hits a kick wide, comes in behind it, easy volley winner. And then on the on the game point, he hits a kick wide that's so nasty it was an ace. Yeah. So he saves those three break points. Um, uh, Novak then also holds serve, and then we go into a tie break. Um, uh, I think does Novak get a mini break and a four two at the change of ends? Am I right? Love on all. That? Love all. Alcaraz double faults. Okay. Yeah. Level double faults, so and that's the that's the sort of four two advantage that therefore Novak has at the change of ends. But then it gets back to four all, right, Gansh? Well, actually, really quickly before that, I remember the the point that Djokovic hit to go up. I think it was two love. Alcaraz okay. hits this like two handed forehand, and he's on the run, and his and you could see at this point like he's feeling something in his hand. And at that point, I yeah. remember thinking, oh no, like this. Because this, you know, at this point, you were hoping for that tiebreak to really deliver, even though it had been over three hours and forty-five minutes. Um, but it ended a little bit anticlimactically, just because I did feel like Alcaraz is cramping. You know, and I think that definitely had an effect in terms of, yeah, just how the match finished. But I will say to Alcaraz's credit, from love three, he did get it to four all. So that was some pretty impressive stuff and some good point shortening skills by him, like almost half volleying some second serves coming in. 
dropping a forehand volley really short and hitting a winner. Like I remember that point, but there were also a couple of other occasions where it didn't work. And Djokovic was Djokovic seemed like he had the physical advantage at this point because of the Alcaraz cramps. I do remember that that double-handed shot you just referred to actually now, and and uh, yeah, that was um, curious and probably was suggesting that that something was perhaps not quite right. But I still think that well, it's still difficult to say how much of a bearing uh, that it did indeed have on the match. What are your sort of thoughts on the tiebreak as a whole, um, Gil? I think the hand cramp had a had a huge bearing actually. Okay. First of all, that was an important rally. It was a twenty-eight shot rally that was really competitive and uh you know it, it felt like a moment where both players were digging in and then it it kind of ends in a tap out with that forehand and i i think some of the commentary you know maybe they were just confused by it but i don't think it was fully acknowledged what had happened mm-hmm. there where clearly alcaraz couldn't hit a forehand and that's how the point was decided for for djokovic but um i mean just watching carefully you know vanch mentioned yes Carlitos was looking to, to shorten points. That was evident. But there were also some other moments where uh, there was a, a defensive forehand slice where as Alcaraz was recovering to the middle of the court, he actually took his right hand kind of off a little bit and just stopped gripping the racket. And then he went to his right to hit the forehand slice and it drifted long. And you have yeah. to think like his mind isn't clear in that moment. He's clearly trying to give his right hand some relief. And that's probably the lapse of focus that makes him miss the slice. And then if you look at the match point, this is well, a this second was, serve. This, uh, this forehand that you're mm. talking about, where, yeah. you know, where he took his head off the guard, this was to get the, the mini break for Djokovic. So this would have been at four yeah. all. And then now he this has was two four all. Right. So, so that's at four all. That's a defensive shot. Sure. I mean, Novak did have, he did have an advantage in the point, but Alcaraz still should have put that back in play. And then just looking at the the match point or the championship point, I should say, at 6-4, that's a second serve by Novak. Alcaraz missed it by what 15 feet on the forehand. Yeah. I, yeah. I just don't think I don't think that's uh happening if the hand is okay. So you know, anticlimactic, maybe what but at the same time, it's uh it's another amazing ending that nobody could have expected to this match because we started for the first set and a half again, thinking, okay, Alcaraz is going to win this match in straight sets. And the storyline is going to be that in kind of an opposite outcome of what happened in Paris, Novak couldn't deal with the conditions physically. Alcaraz could, that's the match. That's it. And then three hours, 40 minutes in Novak has recovered physically. The sun has gone down. And in the end, the storyline is still partially physical, but Alcaraz has a, a hand cramp that really compromises his ability to win this third set tiebreak. The just quickly as well, just coming back to some of the points you've made, the love one to love two rally uh, that goes so that's the this is sort of becomes two love to Novak. I've just watched that again, and. Yeah, Alcaraz doesn't look like he's enjoying the rally, if you like. I mean, it ends up finishing with a mishit forehand. But it seems like it's a couple of backhands he doesn't mind hitting. But there was a couple of forehands in this rally that I'm just watching now. And he doesn't look great on the forehand. He doesn't even want to be in the rally on a forehand. He doesn't want to hit the forehand. He doesn't try to hit many winners. He turns up the notch a little bit. And Djokovic does well on the defense at this particular point. 
but he's he's a little uncomfortable uh, for sure. And that return of serve you're talking about on match point, I even saw somebody suggest it might have clipped the net, but of course I know that that is, um, you know, that's uh, checked. By the way, there's also a net cord in that love one uh, rally as well that goes the way of uh, Novak in a way because it was him who who hit the net. Um, Vanch, so... Novak Djokovic wins. Um, I also think there's something else that, that Gil just mentioned as well that was quite interesting is that it was kind of different. There was a there was twists and there was turns and there was differences even in the way that that tie break you know uh, happened if you like that you know from three love and then and then uh, Carlos comes back in it and then Novak turns the screw if you like. I still think if we watch that tie break in a normal sort of setting, we still go well. That was interesting. So it was kind of like it wasn't quite the high octane stuff that we'd seen throughout the third set, but it still just added another layer of intrigue to this. Um, and I guess the sort of final layer in terms of the the rivalry that's been building, if we sort of don't go too far forward and look at look at Turin, is that that Novak had sort of arrested any potential slide. And I know it's only one match, but the the loss at Wimbledon could have become two in a row, and the narratives would have been building and. And it would be, you know, whatever happened for the rest of the year, Novak could have, if, if, if Carlos then goes on to win the US Open, then, then you know, Novak could win every tournament for the rest of the year and it'll still be like, you know, and there'll be people debating who was the best player this year, of course. But that uh, is long gone now, that that argument. And arguably this was a turning point for, for Novak and Carlos in their years. Is that, am I going a bit too far with that one, Vanch? Uh, we'll see if it has any long-term ramifications apart from... Apart from how this, I did, I definitely think it had to have played a factor on his psyche. But then again, you know, he he was playing pretty well until the, at the U.S. Open and up until uh, you know the Medvedev match. I don't think he looked. I don't think he was at his very best. You know, the forehand was still going cold on him, like you mentioned earlier, Gil, uh, at points during the U.S. during the U.S. Open. But I think psychologically, it was a tough one for him to overcome, just with the chances that he had in that towards the end of the second set. You know, and then just to, you know, we saw the emotion at the end also afterwards for him, you know, really breaking down in tears, understandably. And just, you know, the two of them had, it was a great trophy ceremony as well, like really well spoken by both of them. I really yeah. enjoyed, really enjoyed that. It was kind of fitting of the whole rivalry as a whole. And then you kind of, you kind of do wonder if that took a toll on him just psychologically more than, more than anything else. So of course he did also have some injuries later on in the, um, you know, in the season, like with the, with his lower back and then also. You know, at times, uh, with his foot as well, with the tendonitis. So, and, and then of course, you know, he's playing Novak on those really fast indoor hard courts in the ATP Finals, where, yeah, I mean, I mean, Djokovic just played two of his most spectacular matches, arguably up there with any of the two matches in a row in a big event that he's ever played in his career. So, um, but but up until that point, I mean, this rivalry, like almost every single clash, right from Madrid. And even the first two sets that we saw at Roland Garros, I mean, this is this is something like really, really special because we've never seen this before where there's like a 16 plus year age gap between two players. And it's like the older guy is not really slowing down. So it's, you know, I mean, I, I'm no like Steve Flink or Joel Drucker or Richard Evans, but like I, you know, so my memory doesn't go go that far back. But like the earliest that I can think of is like Steffi Graf and Martina Navratilova. Like, you know, they finished at nine all in their careers in their head to head. And I'm just... It's just going to be so fascinating to see where where all the twists and turns come in the larger picture as far as the rivalry goes. And they've played each other once now on basically every surface, if you count. I mean, altitude clay, sea level clay, so the five meetings and 
yeah, three two for Novak, but it it's pretty interesting to see also like what's shaking up. And I also wonder if you know Sinner playing so well in the second half of the year and after the U.S. Open, if that really takes some pressure off of Carlos for next year. And you know, because not as many people are maybe thinking about him as you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, like you know, Sinner is the second favorite for the Australian Open, and like Sinner is the one who's who has a chance of overtaking Alcaraz next year, and etc. And I wonder if that sort of limelight on Sinner is actually going to help Carlos deal yeah, with the maybe. expectations. Yeah, maybe. All right, Gil, just give us some final thoughts on either the rivalry or the match, you know, a few months on. And um, I guess we're looking forward to plenty more of this in 2024. Yeah, 100%. It almost feels like... Well, also, the thing about this year was uh, there was like a, a long period of time where we weren't getting Djokovic Alcaraz. Yeah, notably, that. Yeah, yeah no, notably we weren't. They They, <laughs> they kept taking turns being absent and... Yeah. that's that's part of the i think that hurt alcaraz at roland garros he was so hyped up at the prospect of playing yeah. Djokovic. he got too hyped up um the the way it twisted and turned with novak winning at roland garros and, and alcaraz winning at wimbledon nobody would have predicted it going that way mm. um you know it, it would have been more feasible that one player wins both than they splitting one one in that manner um this match in in Cincy was was so unforgettable. Um, I think just incredibly gratifying for Novak. I think it was a very gratifying win. Um, he clearly was actually, you know, used the the loss at Wimbledon in a productive manner for himself, which to me isn't surprising. I mean, he's done it all all his career. He's battled against greatness, and that doesn't just push him. It pushes anybody in, in Novak's position. Uh, so like the fact that Alcaraz beat him in a five set Wimbledon final, of course he was going to take that and, and run with it, be excited by the challenge of, of reversing that result. So that was certainly the case returning to us soil. It had a little bit extra meaning that said, mm -hmm. it was the best match Alcaraz played all summer long um, yeah. on the hard courts. It was his best performance. So I actually think, it was a positive heading into the U.S. Open that Alcaraz could look at that level, especially in the third set, and be like, okay, my game's in a good spot. I'm ready to, to go for this U.S. Open title. And then he was a little bit shell-shocked by, by what, what went down in the Medvedev match, and that, that was its own thing. But I think it set up both players very nicely for a U.S. Open run. We just didn't get that, that U.S. Open final because Medvedev played great in the semi. Yeah. Indeed. Wonderful. Thanks for you uh, both coming on today, Vanch and Gil. Make sure you check out both of these guys uh, on Twitter and various other social medias, no doubt, but also uh, on various other channels. I know, of course, Vanch uh, has the Eager and Carlos show, so that's uh, pretty relevant to today's episode. And also Gil uh, with his Money Match Analysis, three bunch of other stuff. Am I missing any other of your titles, Gil? Uh, the, there's the mailbag, you know, there's, the there's other, other content, but it's all on, it's all on either three, the tennis show or the Gil Gross YouTube channel. Gil, you might get one more viewer, but I doubt it because probably my viewers are probably not too dissimilar to yours. They're just, we've just got one or two less. That's all. But basically, <laughs> however many we have and however many you have, these these are yours as well. So you uh, might you might get another viewer, you might get another subscriber, but I, I can't guarantee it. There's always some, John. 
Yeah, but it's always it's also it's always uh, a pleasure coming on and, and going through these matches. I, I remember doing the, the same thing last year, and uh, yeah, it, it is it is fun revisiting these things. I I love the I love the series that that you do here. Cool, me too as well. And uh, of course, Vanch, I'll be seeing you again very soon. Uh, we've dispelled any myths about Gil being a Liverpool FC fan as well. Uh, Are you happy that... about that? Are you? Is yeah, that a relief? I'm a Manchester United fan. I mean, I mean, I've got a book here that I've written that's in the background, and that's part of the reason I thought of it. Plus, Manchester United are playing Liverpool tomorrow in what could end up being a, a horror show, but we'll we'll perhaps address that some other time just because I think Liverpool are the hot favourites. Anyway, uh, big thanks once again to you both and um, everybody else. Thanks for tuning in, and you know the drill. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button, don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.